it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the Bikini. Hey, uh, so what now? What do you mean, what now? Well, you said you believe me, and you won't be, uh... Look, do we have court-martials in the Frieza Force? I think if what happened during your medical examination were pinned on you, you'd probably just be executed on the spot. Dang. No trial or anything? We're in a paramilitary force, and 20 of our own people are dead. Some of them quite valuable medical technicians. You'd be lucky not to be tortured first. Okay, so I'll make sure I note not to go berserk and murder dozens of Frieza Force members. But anyway, uh, if I'm not going to be reprimanded... Executed. Shut up. Anyway, if I'm not going to be blamed for what happened, what are we doing now? The same thing we do every week. Which is? Travel to the nearest large-scale power blip on our long-range scouters and see if there's a fighter who's setting it off and wants to join us. Remember, we're on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy. Right, that. Yeah, what did you think? Well, we haven't done that. Uh, since that time the giant grasshoppers ate a guy's head. So I thought maybe we were going off to fight an invasion on some Freezer Force planet, or maybe, hopefully, just drift aimlessly through space for a while. We've done more more of that than anything else, honestly. It sounds like you want to go seek out a battle on some Frieza planet and fight off invading hordes and put our lives on the line for the glory of Lord Frieza. No, 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 no. Not at all. Good, because we can't just shirk our duties. You can risk life and limb on strange new worlds, searching for new fighters to join the Frieza Force. Do we have to risk life and limb? Can't we just risk, like, dinner? You want to bet me a dinner that will survive the next planet we reach? No, I was just using an example. It's it's settled. If we survive the next planet we reach, Bikini owes me a dinner. But while I think of a good meal for him to make, let's dive into this week's discussion topic. And this week, we will be talking about episodes 71, 72, and 73 of the Dragon Ball anime, which you would think, given the way two of them are and one of them starts, that (laughs) this would be 
Dragon Ball's tournament through the Universal Monsters. Sure, that makes sense. But you would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> some of the some of the titling in some of these episodes gets a little eh. But we'll start with episode 71, which is titled Deadly Battle. We start this episode with Goku kidnapping Master Roshi and pulling Bulma, uh, him and Bulma out of a jet. That's a pretty solid start. Sadly, this leaves Oolong and Launch without a pilot. Luckily, one sneeze later and everything's all good. Back at Baba's, Yamcha's still struggling to hit what he can't see. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. <laughs> he starts using his eyes, or, or sorry, he starts using his ears more than his eyes and gets close. So Baba decides now is a perfect time to serenade the boys with a song about herself. Ego much? It's a dirty trick, but Baba did say there were no rules. In a stroke of genius, Krillin, who is also a master of dirty tricks, decides to cheer on the invisible man, which causes him to speak, and Yamcha makes quick work of it from there. Uh, sadly, none of these tricks are able to end the fight, and we end up back at square one. Goku returns with Roshi and Bulma, and Krillin's devious plan is revealed. He pulls down Bulma's top, creating a Roshi blood geyser that covers the invisible man. Gross. <laughs> Everyone celebrates, but Baba warns that the next three fighters have real strength. Krillin explains the situation to Bulma, and Roshi reveals that Baba is actually his older sister. They try to play the family card, but Baba likes fights and money, so that's not going to work. They change locales and prep for the next fight, and we get a few fun character moments as everyone gets to know each other a little bit more. Baba takes Goku to a secret dining room. I don't know what he's eating, but it looks pretty good. While the others climb a seemingly endless staircase to their seats. Baba tests the metal of our young hero by distracting him with food, then springing a falling ceiling trap on him. Goku responds the only way he knows how, by trivializing treachery. And the trap just doesn't work at all. Yamcha finds the next arena, a tongue bridge between two demon statues taking a dump. At the bottom of the pit, a smelly poisonous swamp. Goku and Baba return, and Baba demands that Roshi hand over Goku's tutelage to her in exchange for Yamcha's life. Goku himself refuses to accept the deal and chooses to fight instead. Will our hero succeed? And who will Yamcha be facing? Which brings us to episode 72, titled Goku's Turn. But the actual contents of the episode are everything but Goku's turn. <laughs> but don't think about that too much. So we open on this episode with everyone commenting on how disgusting the demon's toilet is, and Baba demonstrates the corrosive properties of said toilet. Truly, falling in the toilet will be a one-way trip. Yamcha is undeterred. Baba summons her next fighter, a mummy, obviously. He's huge, and he seems excited to put Yamcha in some bandages of his own. Yamcha comes up with a good strategy, but Roshi seems doubtful of his success. The old man might be a pervert, but he does no fighting. Mummy gets Yamcha on the back hand? Foot? Anyway, Yamcha's hanging from the bridge in no time. However, Mummy-kun spares him. He wants to have more fun. He's a little bit of a sadist. Mummy toys with Yamcha for a bit before landing a damaging blow. Yamcha tries to knock Mummy-kun off balance, but he just sort of like Spider-Mans his way back up onto the bridge uh, with his bandages. Yamcha is truly outclassed here in every way. There's a cutaway to another team waiting in line outside Baba's, but they're all cowards and not worth commenting on. Beating becomes so one-sided that even Upa considers interfering to save Yamcha. But to his credit, he doesn't give in. Eventually, he's thrown off the bridge and is saved by Goku. And now, 21 minutes into the episode, it's actually Goku's turn. Oh, the episode's over? Oh, uh... Okay, well, that seems a little weird considering the title, but yeah, okay, <laughs> moving on. Episode 73, The Devil Might Beam, which is another weirdly titled episode, but we'll get into that later. 
on this one, we open with Mummy-kun, seemingly a bit more nervous about facing off with Goku. He states that even though he's just a kid and has no has not taken an, an actual fighting stance, he doesn't seem to be presenting any avenues for attack. Uh, the gallery starts sharing their thoughts on how this fight will turn out, and there's a pun about Mummy-kun like liking Goku. Goku sort of goads Mummy-kun into attacking, and then Goku just takes the hits. No damage. Just shrugs it off. No sells it. Surprise, Goku outclasses Mummy-kun just as hard as Mummy-kun outclassed Yamcha. Cementing Yamcha's Dragon Ball career as a jobber. Mummy-kun tries some bandage shenanigans, and everyone laments how Goku is now doomed. Kind of sensing a pattern here. But Goku eventually breaks out by using the wraps as a bungee cord and using the toilet water to melt his way out. Now that Goku's shown he can easily escape a crushing situation, I'm sure no villain will ever try that again. <laughs> oh, he immediately tried it again? Oh. Well, it didn't work the second time? Yeah, well, obviously, it didn't work the first time. Anyway, Goku takes Mummy down in one punch, proving that Saitama ripped off his gag. We get a look at fighter, Fighters 4 and 5 sizing up this opponent, with the one in the mask kind of warning his comrade not to take Goku lightly. Uh, fighter 4 is eventually summoned, who, it turns out, is Devilman which is kind of a fun reference to another manga, but it breaks our streak of Universal Studios monsters. This surprises Roshi, who says that this Devilman used to be the fifth fighter. Uh, the match starts, and the Devilman starts off with an unfair advantage. He can fly, so no ring out for him, I guess. But even with that skill, Goku nearly knocks him into the swamp anyway. Everyone seems confident now, but Roshi warns of a terrible technique possessed by Devilman, who immediately begins explaining how this technique works. He takes an evil thought that a person has and expands it to its exploding point. Unfortunately, we don't get a demonstration until next episode, even though this episode is titled Devil Might Beam. But yeah, we're just going to ignore that as well, I guess. Yeah, we're going to we're we are going to talk about it like it actually happened. But oops, that's the we, we talked about this a bit offline before we before we started recording these these batch of episodes are the ones where I feel at least in the Dragon Ball portion of the story, I feel a definite. Hey, hey. Can you, uh, here's like three panels. Can you make me like six episodes? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, this is where we see the first evidence of the Frieza arc. But like everything, everything, you know, just the, even just things like, I feel like the recaps of previously on Dragon Ball get longer and longer. And then even like the first 30 seconds to a minute of where we're not getting voiceover of the previously on Dragon Ball guy anymore. We're still kind of recapping the the end of the last episode. It's just maybe from like it's like zoomed in more or yeah. less or from like a slightly different angle or something, but it's still just an exact repeat of all the dialogue and everything. And then I feel like the the tense buildups to leave you on a cliffhanger at the end of every episode or longer. And if you were to chunk those parts off, you would be left with like 15 to 16 minutes of actual content in every episode. And in my personal opinion, it's that 15, 16 minutes of content also. And it gets really egregious in some of these episodes where they cut from the fight to like characters, reactions and explanations of things going on, which they've kind of done before. But it feels like the amount of action versus the amount of explanation we're getting is starting to tip more towards explanation at this point as well. Right. Although I will say, I think these are this is like still like this is a breezy watch for me. Yeah. No. This, still solid episode. Still pretty good. Yeah. And and yeah, I, I liked them. It's just yeah, we we're getting into like you just can feel 
the the pace slow down a little bit and feel like we're getting we're getting a little less content <laughs> in bogged, every episode bogged down in in the toilet swamp a little bit yeah <laughs> speaking of the toilet swamp let's let's review some of these characters so first up we've got uh dracula design is fairly similar to what vlad tepish kind of looked like a little bit uh the armband he wears is called a prajad and it's used to ward evil spirits away which is Ironic, because <laughs> some would think that a vampire is an evil spirit. He does a ceremonial ritual to honor the spirits of the ring. This comes from the film One-Armed Boxer, where a similar thing happens. Dracula being a Muay Thai fighter makes some sense as they're known for grappling techniques. And Dracula obviously latches on to suck your blood. And also Muay Thai also has a reputation of being a very bloody – like Muay Thai matches are very bloody in nature. Mm-hmm. The cross here is the first bit of Western religious symbolism we see in Dragon Ball. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about Dracula stuff, like, a lot. Uh, we, if if you want to hear us talk more about Dracula and our thoughts on Dracula and entire Dracula-themed anime, go back to our October episode, which was about Don Dracula. You know, we talked about our favorite iterations of Dracula. I still think just just it bears repeating in terms of underrated or overlooked Clash Bang or Bong or whatever as the Netflix Dracula. Because mm-hmm. I still don't hear enough people talking about that show. It was a decent um, show. I liked it. And he's fantastic. Yeah, if you want to hear us talk more more about Dracula, I think maybe go talk about that. But um, the the Western religious symbolism thing showing up in Dragon Ball is interesting, especially because it hasn't happened at this point. And it's using Western religious symbolism in Japanese animation or storytelling in general is similar to how we as Westerners use pretty much everything other than Judeo-Christian religious symbolism in our storytelling where it's considered uh, weird and scary and cultish and pagan you know we we think we like that's that's how a lot of that stuff is used here you're always using like if you play with a ouija board ghosts come into your house and if you if you mess around with with pagan rituals you summon a demon from the irish forest to i don't know whittles your bones or something like <laughs> i'm just trying to think of like you know generic or i was thinking like the 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 like the fairies like you if a child gets lost in the woods it gets replaced with like a fae child and yeah like in the hopes that it gets raised in that child's place in the real world but see westerners we we do stuff like that all the time you know if you're if you're messing around with with these religious things that americans just as a general cultural rule don't understand that that well they're you're they're easily portrayed as scary spooky otherworldly cultish things that are like easy slim pickings for horror films and sci-fi films and those kinds of things to use as as fodder kind of as backdrop to the story they're telling and that's what like re- american religious symbolism is or not american jesus that's 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 like uh <laughs> extremely ethnocentric but that's like what christian religious symbolism is to japan because christianity never really took root in japan in fact christianity was outlawed in japan for many many years christian missionaries were like 
executed if they tried to preach to people. Martin Scorsese did a whole movie about that called Silence. Mm-hmm. It was just okay. <laughs> <laughs> just not normally how you would describe a Martin Scorsese film. But it's a, I mean, I w- it was an interesting story. I just thought it would like the movie itself was too long. But no, read up on like what Christian missionaries went through in Japan. It is most unpleasant. And the percentages of Japan that were ever converted to Christianity is like extremely low. Yeah, using the cross here is like, ooh, weird spooky cult. Especially if if you're a Christian, and I think even if you're not, most people know that like Christianity is like our God was crucified and then we drink his blood and eat his flesh every week. Like That doesn't sound culty at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and there's tons of Japanese stuff that uses Christian religious symbolism that way. I watch a lot of Ultraman. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that before. No, I'm sure never, not once. <laughs> In almost every series of Ultraman that there is, which a, a series of Ultraman is almost like a season of a TV show, kind of, except it's rebooted into something new every season. In almost every one, I feel like Ultraman gets crucified at some point, and crosses are used as like big, spooky, scary symbolism. You'll see stuff like that just a lot. If you, the more Japanese stuff you watch, you'll just see like a cross like thrown in there, and you'll be like, what are they trying to say about Christians here? And the reality is kind of like nothing because they don't know a whole lot about Christianity. So they're just using it as like a, ooh, spooky. It's magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's magical. That that too, right? Like like how we would use Celtic symbolism or uh or like a lot of Japanese symbolism like like all-seeing eyes thinking like, think uh, like being spooky and like paganism like and in a lot of like uh native religions from the Americas. Mhm. Mhm. For sure. That's just the one interesting thing that comes out of Dracula. And, and yeah, like I said, we we could talk more about Dracula, but we already talked about Dracula for like an hour, was that? I mean... Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about this particular fight is just the sort of uh, inconsistencies in what Dracula's weaknesses are. <laughs> <laughs> like, Garlic Breath sends knocks him for a loop, but apparently being out in the broad daylight not a problem for him. What a good oppor- what a good like wasted opportunity for like a joke too where like you know they breathe garlic on him and someone someone could say hey, I thought vampires didn't like the daylight and he could be like I have SPF 5 million sunscreen. Yeah, even something like <laughs> just a throwaway gag like that. I thought you were going to say the most interesting thing was that it didn't have your favorite character from Don Dracula Blonda. Oh, I mean, she probably could have made an, an appearance, and that would have been a fun Easter egg for me now that I have seen Don Dracula, but I would still probably hate it. <laughs> okay, so moving on to our next fighter, Suke-san, or the Invisible Man. Suke comes from the Japanese Sukeru, which means transparent, so his name is literally Mr. See-Through. And the name, Suke-san, is a homophone of a character who appeared in Japan's longest-running primetime drama, Water Door Earthgate, which ran from 1969 to 2011. So, like, so, the... 
40 years? Yeah, like, like Dang, the young and the rest. a long time. I, I don't know enough about Japanese, like, TV outside of anime and genre stuff. Like, I've, quite frankly, not watched a whole lot of Japanese I, I would also be in that boat, yes. <clears throat> so I don't know, like... It says longest running primetime drama. Is that like like a Dallas? Like was it more of a soap opera where That'd be those are like 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 the primetime soaps that ran for a brief period in America in like the seventies and eighties and then were largely parodied out of existence and then really well done in both parody and homage by Twin Peaks? I mean, it's possible. Um, I love Twin Peaks, by the way. I, that's a shocker. I had no idea. <laughs> but so I don't. I don't know if this is like 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 a soap opera. I'm gonna assume yes, right? I feel. I like mean, things... I've already accepted it in my head canon. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, Water Door Earthgate has a character named Suke-san with I think like different characters that make those same sounds so it has a completely different meaning but it's just a, a homophone the the song that baba sings that distracts yamcha is a melody like this the melody she's using is adapted from a song called tunare gumi written during the second sino-japanese war to promote community awareness so this was like a the the lyrics are completely different but the melody the tune it was like a a propaganda song to be like, be on the lookout for your neighbors, you know, like a, uh, mm-hmm. and if you see something, say something, but in song form. Right. This song is a, then adapted by a Mansai comedy team, and we talked about Mansai comedy where you got a straight man and a and a jokey man just doing mm-hmm. riffing on each other, called the Drifters, and Toriyama adapts the the melody from them. It's sung on the original, to to Toriyama original, not original original, the original comedy show, The Drifters Show, by cute girls in skirts and at a fast pace, becoming a bright pop song. And it becomes, like, popular in Japan. Becomes a, a, like, pretty well-known pop song for a brief period of time. But so what what does Toriyama do with this fast-paced, cute pop song? He makes it sung by... Slow by an ugly old hag, obviously. Yeah, I mean, you know, it makes sense. This man is nothing if not consistent. Exactly. I'll just say that. So so now we've we've had Dracula, we've got the Invisible Man, mm-hmm. and I like the Invisible Man. I don't know how how you if you have any familiarity passing I mean, or otherwise. My my I guess my really only exposure other than like the trope of the invisible antagonist is the um kevin bacon version oh hollow man yeah hollow man uh with I, Elizabeth that's, Chew. that's a movie that's that i think gets a little bit of a bad rap i like that movie it's a fun movie for what it is and i i the I, yes for for its time period the effects were like they had hit the the invisible guy with like running water and things like that some of the effects still hold up fairly well in my opinion i think so yeah i mean for, again you know you have to do that for what it is and mm-hmm. for the I mean this is it's a movie from 2000. You wouldn't ever watch it and think oh it's a movie from 2 years ago, but it certainly yeah. doesn't I don't think look like it's 23 years old. No, I think it's held up pretty well. There yeah. is there is one thing about the invisible man that's always kind of bothered me. 
and that is being a science-inclined individual, I understand that the human eye works by reflecting light onto the, you know, the onto your retinas. If light is just passing through everything because you're invisible, how does the invisible man see anything? Wouldn't he be functionally blind? Mm. That's what bothers you, huh? It does bother me, yes. Not 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 just the reality <laughs> that we live in like a chronically filthy world and you would never be clean enough to be truly invisible. Ooh, that's an excellent point as well. Yes, I had not considered that. Well, think about it. This like you probably have a layer of film on you right now. <laughs> You no, know, you're you're absolutely right. So yeah, then it becomes a, a question of like, does his do his body secretions also become invisible? And then what about like you're saying the dirt that sticks to him because of like the oil on his skin, or even just the body? I feel like okay, walk around outside for an hour with no shoes on. Yeah, your feet are black on the bottom. Absolutely right. You have these little black footprints everywhere you go. That's that's a fair point. That's a that's really good. I had not considered that that. Well, now I have some new stuff for for D and D in the future. Thanks for that. <laughs> Hollow Man, by the way, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Who didn't he do? W- um, uh, RoboCop. Yeah, let's say RoboCop. Ever heard of it? A fantastic uh, movie too. Total Recall. Ever heard of it? Oh, okay. So that's why that movie was so good. Starship Troopers. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Starship Troopers is one of my all-time favorite like It's really good. It's most people really pe- good. It's also like one of my all-time favorite most people don't understand this movie movies. I, I agree with that 100%. Yes. Like, most people think it's this fun and it, it, like it plays this way, so that's why most people think it. Most yeah. people think it's this fun action movie about three kind of friends who get sucked into an alien battle and it's this Mm -hmm. big fun action movie and it plays that way Mm -hmm. but like most people don't realize that the humans are the villains and it's all about like a fascist society and that fascism has won that is what's so brilliant about it because the film itself is a war propaganda film so if you walk out of that film not realizing that it's about fascism you fell for the propaganda yeah. Which is the entire point. <laughs> Such yeah. a good movie. Paul Verhoeven's awesome. And he's been in, in recent years he's been doing more I, I I hate to say like artsy fartsy as the word, but he's been doing and I hate to even say prestige because like they haven't gotten the eyes on them that like Robocop and Basic Instinct and Starship Troopers did, but like Benedetta was really good smaller i guess smaller more more psychological more drama driven movies and that's that's an excellent mm. example of your point because i have not heard of this movie oh it was nominated for something was it nominated for best picture best actress best director best something oh it was it was nominated for the palm d'or ah uh-huh. so it got some buzz from that it, it's good though um it's about like a nun who uh has a has a lesbian lesbian relationship with another nun that's that's like compelling enough that they're in this like abbot or, or uh convent and that's sure. like about like witch hunting like lgbtq people then there's also like crazy paul verhoven scenes where 
one of the two of these nuns, I can't remember which one, is like a little bit like kind of crazy and keeps having visions where Jesus is like telling her to like, like, yeah, be a lesbian. It's awesome. As he like is an action star and like stabs people to death left and right. It's really- <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's very Verhoeven. Definitely. While also still being like, like I don't want to, I don't want to overplay how often that happens. That happens like twice throughout this like two-hour running time movie. So don't think that's like what the movie is. I mean, that's that's sold that sold me on it right there alone. <laughs> but it's sprinkled in there. But yeah, to get back to to Invisible Men, I like the Universal Invisible Man movies. Uh, Claude Rains is awesome in the first one. Is like this really unhinged guy who's. Who's, and that's that's sort of a theme of the Invisible Man as a movie monster, mm-hmm. is that being invisible like makes you go crazy eventually. Sure, because you, you, nobody acknowledges your existence. How can yeah. they? They don't even know you're there. So like Claude Rains is really good, and then the sequels are okay. They there's one oh the the so the the sequ- the Universal sequels are like. The ones that are actual attempts to be like universal kind of monster movies are decent, but then there's Invisible Agent, which is like a wartime propaganda about like the a guy becoming the Invisible Man and clowning on Nazis. That movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also Invisible Woman, which is like a comedy, and I use that word as loosely as possible. Fair enough. So I've actually seen all the Invisible Men universal movies and then do you are you familiar with john carpenter's memoirs of an invisible man i am not what is that it's his like attempt at an invisible man movie now i remember it being pretty fun and i have some friends who may or may not be listening to this and if they hear me say that they're gonna be like i I hate you because this is john carpenter's worst movie <laughs> but I remember it being pretty funny. It's it stars Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah and Sam Neill's the bad guy. Oh. And Chevy Chase like accidentally turns himself invisible and is spending the rest of the movie like trying to regain visibility while like the bad guys are trying to get him so that they can like vivisect him to learn how to become invisible to apply it to weapons technology. But it's like played like a comedy, like at one point, Chevy Chase thinks th- thinks he gets his like body back, and he goes to have sex with Daryl Hannah, and then his penis is invisible, and then he wakes up, and it's like that was a dream. There's also like there's some like I the one uh, one other thing. It's probably been 15 years at least, maybe more since I've seen this movie. So you're you're testing me, but. <laughs> um, there's the one other thing that I thought was really interesting that I remember seeing was like there's a moment where he eats a meal with Daryl Hannah or even maybe by himself. A little fuzzy in that, but like he starts to see himself digesting food <laughs> and it makes him throw up. Yeah, okay. No, that makes sense. That's interesting. Okay, that's a good take on that. Yeah, the Invisible Man is a, is a tricky ca- – like – you know the Invisible Man is like uh, almost a precursor to any like shapeshifter character, where you have to get into those kinds of questions of like, do their clothes change shape with them? If their clothes mm-hmm. change shape with them, does that mean that they are actually naked and that they're just shapeshifting to make it look like they're wearing clothes? <laughs> um, are they are they shapeshifting into clothes, a la Plastic Man in DC? 
and then being worn by women? <laughs> yes, that's a thing that happened in the comics, folks. Uh, the Invisible Man like invites those kinds of odd questions, like, what about getting dirty? What about, can you see anything because light is passing through you? And mm-hmm. there's a lot of logistical questions with an Invisible Man. But um, So now we'll move on to our next contestant on uh, yes. Baba's Price is Right. <laughs> Come on down, Mr. Mummy. So Mummy Coon kind of looks like Ader, the android for Muscle Tower. Uh, this makes sense given that Boris Karloff played both Frankenstein's monster, who was the basis for Ader, and then the original Mummy in 1932. While many modern-day movie viewers might be more acclimated to fast mummies because of the Brendan Fraser starring mummy films of the late 90s and early 2000s, Toriyama is breaking the heretofore established mold of a mummy by making him fast and talkative. He's creating something new by doing his usual thing of the opposite of what he's accustomed to seeing. Yeah, every every mummy up to this point was like a slow. Yeah, it was it like arms outstretched. Um, I think almost kind of like the the classic like Ramiro zombie almost. Yeah, the the one exception really being the original 1932 mummy with Boris Karloff, where it's more similar to the 99 remake than uh, if you've never seen the original. It's it's more similar to that than you might think, where, like, Boris Karloff is in them bandages, you know, like, the iconic image of Boris Karloff wearing those bandages? Mm-hmm. He's in them bandages for, like, 48 seconds. Oh, dang. And the, and the rest of the time, he's just himself in, like, Egyptian garb and made, made up to, like, look just older, like, more wrinkly and even dusty. But the sequels in Universal to all of those have a completely different mummy. It's no longer Emotep. It's Karis or Karis. <clears throat> he is your typical one arm is pinned to his side. One arm is outstretched and he walks with a limp. And those are pretty fun movies, though. They're they're like real quick hits. They're all like 75 minutes. Sure. Um, I dig them. Well, I mean, me personally, I think they, they kind of lead towards what eventually becomes zombie films. Yeah, because it's that same kind of concept of death sort of slowly pursuing you and you really can't escape it. And it is the more, you know, zombie movies up until Romero were voodoo, voodoo zombies. Yeah. The mummy is like an undead thing. You know, it's it's a corpse that's coming after you like a like what we think of as zombies now. But I don't know how you feel about at least. The first Brendan Fraser mummy movie, I think, is like a perfect, I'll use the word perfect, that summer is, blockbuster. That is literally how I was going to describe it. It is perfect. For what it is. like No it's, notes. Yeah, like no notes. It's, it's excellent for what it is. For the kind of movie that you want to see over the summer that's fun, funny, escapist, good action sequences, but also good characters, it is the perfect. It is, it's like, it's along with like Jurassic Park, the first Pirates movie as like perfect summer blockbusters. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I love Brendan Fraser. I'm glad he's getting, like, I really do hope we get more of a Brendan Fraser resurgence here. I know he was like, I know he was like supposed to be in um, Batgirl, the shelved Batgirl movie. At least I thought he was. I yeah I think 
yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard the same thing. So I just, I just hope like, I hope it's not just like the whale and then he disappears again, you know, because that would be a shame. I really like Brendan Fraser. I, and, and not only do I like Brendan Fraser, I'm not ashamed to admit I like some of his movies. Like I think, I think Airheads is a really funny, awesome comedy. Georgia the Jungle, I, like, I think, is a fantastic rendition of an old cartoon, like slightly modernized. I like Bedazzled. Like, I dare you to watch Bedazzled and not just be charmed every oh, minute absolutely. that Brendan Fraser's on the screen. Blast from the Past, just that's another just fun movie. I have no notes. It's it's a great little comedy for for you know for what it is. I think it's it's very high quality. Yeah, and I also I I also like The Passion of Darkly Noon. That's like a weird one. Not familiar That's with like, that one. yeah, he, oh boy, he, how does it go? He, he, he like gets kicked out of his uber religious, ultra conservative religious Christian cult that he's in and winds up like, uh, on a, like exhausted, like dying from exhaustion almost on, uh, like the doorstep of some like woman who lives in the woods and be and like becomes friends with her and Vigo Mortensen is like the guy who lives with the girl that Brendan Fraser kind of comes across and he starts feeling like jealous of Brendan Fraser becoming friends with the girl and thinks something is developing between them and it like obviously comes to a head it's it's out there it's different but I I remember I liked it but so yeah I like Brendan Fraser I think he's he's great and I would love to see him i've seen the whale i think he is awesome in it okay see i haven't seen it yet it is on my list but i have not had the time to watch it yet the movie itself is okay it's um it's got some aronofsky problems (laughs) which i like aronofsky as a filmmaker but he has definitely become or always been extremely fixated on religious symbolism Mm -hmm. and this the whale doesn't have the subtlety really to pull it off and it's just like it's not as good as like the wrestler okay but it was good it just wasn't I don't think it deserves any awards. I think Brendan Fraser deserves awards for it. I think he was really fantastic, honestly. I think he retroactively deserves awards for the Mummy, but that's just me personally. Well, yeah. There we and go. And then next year, and then next year, let's do Keanu and like let let's just call it good. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. But anyways, yeah, the the Mummy is a, a fun, neat villain. So we think though, right? We've got. We've got Dracula. We've got the Invisible Man. We got the Mummy. In my head, canon. I think the next one, because remember, Roshi's shocked. He thought Devil Man was number five. Mm-hmm. In my head, canon. The next one was gonna be the Wolf Man, but Roshi blew up the moon. That, I, oh, I accept that so hard. That's really good. <laughs> That's perfect because, yeah, Roshi blew up the moon, so now werewolf can't even exist. 
And I, I think there's a callback to that later on, if I remember there correctly. There is. There's uh, in the next in the next tournament, I think, like the one with Tien. One of the competitors is a Wolfman. He's a Reverse Wolfman. So he's stuck as a Wolfman he, until there's a new moon. Yes, he can't turn back into a human at all. <laughs> but yeah, my head canon is there's no more moon, so no more Wolfman. I, but so I you accept think, this head canon. This is perfect. You would think though we might get Gilman. Oh, creature of the Black Lagoon. Okay. Yeah. Or even just like a prototypical mad scientist. There's always like a mad scientist in these Universal Monster movies. But instead, we get Devil Man, and this is this is the first true demon or devil to appear in Dragon Ball, and they even say he's like a demon. And Devil Man is at least partially based on the titular character of the manga Devil Man, which was created by Go Nagai. Nagai is a prolific mangaka. He's credited with creating the super robot genre as a whole with Mazinger, which was also the first manga to, or, or like thing really, to have mecha robots piloted by people from within a cockpit. He has also created the Cutie Honey, Cutie Honey and Getter Robo series. Oh, and if we're looking for someone to bug to give Toriyama one of the Tezuku, Tezuku, Tezuka Osama Osam bleh, Tezuka Osamu Cultural Prize Awards that are given out yearly in Japan, Go Nagai has been on the nominating nominating committee since two thousand nine. So hey, go, come on. Every year they give out like it's it's an award for people who use the Osamu Tezuka method, which we said learned earlier that Toriyama at least partially used mm-hmm. his like paneling method. It's given out to like the best new manga, the best overall manga, the something. There's like a third one, and then the fourth one is a special award given to people who historically in their lives have done a lot to advance manga culture. And the presence of manga on a world scale, stage and worldwide scale. So let's go get Toriyama that fourth one. Sure. <laughs> but so Devil Man, or Aku Man, and that's, what is it? Is it Aku or uh, Akuma is the Japanese word for the devil. It's Akuma. Mm-hmm. So he's Akuman, Devil Man. Like the devil, he can make evil grow right in your heart to the point that it's overpowering. His technique, the the devil might beam, is it's translated to in American, uh, American, the the American translation. We'll go. We'll, we'll say it that way. But I'm I'm being like super bad with this today. I I, pr- I actually kind of like it's been translated into American. That's that's <laughs> that's quintessential American, honestly. But it could be more directly translated as the evil exploitation ray. But Goku, spoiler alert for the first like three minutes of the next episode, <laughs> he's <laughs> he's completely pure of heart. So how can the ray even work on him? It doesn't. Uh, but how can that be? How can the ray not work on him? How can he be completely pure of heart? How can he not have any uh, evil thoughts within him if he's killed people and has a thir- thirst for battle? Aren't these bad things? Aren't these vices? 
aren't vices themselves either somewhat evil or evidence of potentiality for evil? The only answer Toriyama ever gives us is by having Bulma chastise Roshi and say, oh, Goku would have been in a lot of trouble if he'd have been a lot more like his master, which just implies that to Toriyama, pure-heartedness is more of a state of mind than something that happens because of your actions. Goku's free from material attachments. He's free from the attachments of our world. He's similar to like a baby or an animal. Thus, he has a pure or clean heart. His killings aren't done out of malice or spite or anger. He's he's like a dog chasing cars. He just does things. See, my interpretation on that was just that he doesn't really have a thought in his head. So, absent I mean, of all thought, there's no evil thought to be exploited. That's, I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? He, he's not thinking about societal implications of what he does, or he, even the he, morality of his actions. Honestly, yeah, he he exists. I don't want to say above those considerations, but apart from those considerations, right? Goku's never, and it's it's not. It's not selfishness. It's not mean-spirited. He's just never considering how his actions affect other people. It's just all... He's just... He's just... A, he's. We talked about this, like, way, way back in, like, our first episode. He exists in and as part of nature. He's just, like, a natural force. Mm-hmm. And so everything he does is just an extension of his nature and naturalism. And it's not something that he's doing because of how he perceives it being received which is why he's constantly getting chastised for it it also really helps that he grew up without catholic guilt (laughs) yes so you you hinted at devil man are you familiar with devil man like in a very passing way like i've watched the netflix anime adaptation uh, devil man crybaby yeah that one i thought it was okay i thought it was pretty good i I was at like i remember watching it and being like i'm being like boy i'm never gonna not like something that has this much like insanity and violence but i'm very confused about where it's all going and how it's all coming together and we've only got two episodes left Uh uh-oh and then the last two episodes it came together really really well I remember it centering a lot on, like, sort of nihilistic thinking. Mm-hmm. Something akin to, like, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. And then the only other thing I've seen has been the, the three OVAs. Mm-hmm. They're, like, I forget. Each one is maybe, like, 45 minutes long or something like that. It's, I would just recommend watch Devilman Crybaby because it's, like, it's a good the jumping first one off is, point, yeah. The first one is okay, the second one is okay, and then the third one is better. And it's like, I wonder if that's, I, I just, I don't know. Is that just what I would think of pretty much everything with Devil Man? Like, like <laughs> I said in my review of the third OVA was, listen, I'm never going to not like something where a giant demon devil boy rips off another monster's boobs and then eats them. <laughs> But, like, do you have more to tell me as a story and as characters? And 
it's not until the third OVA or the oh and then and then yeah a little boy gets an arrow shot into his head by an angry mob who think he and his sister are witches which then cause the demon inside another young boy to go absolutely insane and murder everything but like it's a devil man has a very confused narrative and very difficult to parse story until its finale in both iterations that I've seen. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's a commentary on how evil is a purely human construct. This whole devil man thing is sort of like a, a I guess, a vector for the worst in humanity to come out in terms of like how they react to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then it starts getting into like nihilism and how like we you know we're our own kind of worst enemy and and it gets very heady towards the end and it, it's one of those things that's really hard to put into words. You kind of almost have to to sit through it and watch it and absorb like all of the different moments that lead up to that ending and for it to actually start to make sense to you. Yeah, I would very recommend Devilman Crybaby though if you if you have the time. It's because it'll take you about three hours of combined watching to watch all 10 episodes. That's the one good thing. They're all only like 25 minute episodes. Mm-hmm. If you, if, if that really clicks for you, then, then I give the, the OVAs like a soft recommendation. Cause I was like, okay with them, but I personally wouldn't go back to them. That's my experience with devil man. But yeah, this is our first, like, we're going to see a lot more demons and devils later on, and they're going to be a lot different than this one, but uh, sh- hey, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think about it too much. I do. I, I like the 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 Hiffle workers that we ultimately get. They are you pretty know, with fun. Like, like they're always wearing like big nerd glasses and everything. Like, and, and the, just the Hiffle thing itself being sort of the uh, uh, English censorship, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Um, adds an extra layer of comedy to it for me. Right, right. And yeah, so it's it's interesting that Toriyama doesn't choose another universal monster here. Uh, he might have been like... Uh, I'm, I'm I, going with your earlier explanation. Roshi blew up the moon, therefore Wolfman cannot exist. <laughs> well, that's like a good like in-universe explanation, you know? Sure, like, yeah. That I don't think Toriyama would have thought through, personally. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, like, maybe not. Well, well, I guess we'll never know. Probably because he's he's never he, he. I bet if you even were able to corner him and ask him, he'd be like, I don't know. It was probably something. <laughs> well, and <laughs> it like, really, it really oh, also you. gets undercut by the fact that we just had Dracula running around in sunlight. So, <laughs> I I do think I wonder like, okay, he he kind of has had the Wolfman in the background of things already i think as a character and he's and like i think for him to have like a i I wonder if he thinks like oh i've had you know bear men and 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 tiger people and 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 so that's not anything like interesting or exciting and hell maybe he even had the wolfman and his editor was like that's not interesting or exciting (laughs) you know that's Um, possible too but so you know i like maybe he thought that like yeah wolfman or gill man wasn't interesting enough because he's already done animal people also perhaps 
and I will for now not spoil spoil the identity of that fifth fighter, although I think everyone out there listening probably knows, but still, I think it's a layer of him doing his typical, like, opposite of what you'd expect, um, undercutting kind of thing of like, all right, I had a monster, then I had another monster, then I had, like, the devil, like, that's like the... the the Lord of what Monsters. What could possibly be worse than the devil? Yes, yes. What what could be worse than the devil? And then his fifth fighter is a complete opposite and a complete reversal of these other fighters that he's had, which, you know, have been monsters. I think that is maybe the most likely explanation that build up, that. build up to what could be worse than the devil. And the answer is nothing and do the opposite. It does seem pretty on brand for him. So that's those are those are our th- general generic thoughts about four of the five warriors. Well, we'll get to number five eventually, but not today. Next episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pivotal moment in Dragon Ball for a lot of reasons. This is like our own version of the cliffhanger, like has been in these past couple episodes. <laughs> okay. I think I've decided your fate. Wait, isn't that what you said the last time we did one of these transitions out of our discussion? You know, there's only so many combinations of words in our language to use for transitions. Fair enough. What do you mean by deciding my fate? I thought we were making a dinner bet. Yeah, and if I win, I want something really special. Uh Uh-oh. I want a Kamanian bullet ant shank. Kev, what? It's a delicacy. Kamanian bullet ants are giant ants. How big we talking? Put your head off, man. (sighs) Anyway, the shank is one of the crispiest and yet somehow juiciest meals you'll ever come across. Does it taste good, though? Kind of like a used sock, so obviously yes. You are disgusting. There's no accounting for taste. Hey, man, you said it. Anyway... We'll take our leave of you here, listeners, as we approach the planet of Kamani. Wait, I thought we had to survive the next planet before trying to kill and cook giant ants. Well, luckily for us, there's a fighter on this planet we can recruit. Be ready, we'll be there in five. Oh boy! Will we survive our trip to Kamani? Will Bikini have to pay up? Will preparing Bullet Ant lead to his demise? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership.